on 98FM and online. This is Phoenix FM. Welcome to another edition of the Orient Hour here on Phoenix FM with myself, Chris Hood. And as we bring up three figures, not three figures, three figures, the Orient Hour debuted on 24th of July 2016. Tonight is episode 100 and what a panel we've got for you tonight to celebrate that fact. Joining me are Orient Chairman Nigel Travis, Vice Chairman and Principal Investor Kent Teague, Pandemonium Editor and Pantomime Villain Matt Roper. He's so much of a villain he hasn't popped in yet. And former Orienteer Editor Jamie Stripe as well as... uh, another former Orienteer editor and from Loft, Dave Knight. If you've got a question for the panel tonight or a comment about another busy week in E10, loads of ways to get in touch. It's the Orient Hour on Facebook and Twitter. Give us a follow and a like while you're over there and you can also email the studio direct tonight, radio at phoenixfm.com. But before we speak with our esteemed panel, let's have a look back on yesterday's action at Brisbane Road as Gateshead uh, paid a visit in the National League. The O's drew nil-nil with all the shot on Tuesday night, of course, in what was, for many, a lethargic performance for Justin Edinburgh's men, perhaps brought on by the exertions of Saturday's massive victory at Wrexham. Both teams had had good chances to score, with the shots no doubt the happier of the two sides as they returned home with a point. Despite many feeling as though Orient had dropped two points on their home patch, the E10 side of course remained top of the National League table, with 47 points from 22 games, a point clear of Salford in second. The result also served to extend Orient's unbeaten league run to eight, with four wins and two draws in the last six. Of course, coming into December, November, looking back, was a good month for the O's with three wins and a draw, including those vital wins at promotion rivals Fold and Wrexham. And Thursday marked one year in charge for Edinburgh with his record reading played 52, a 127, drawn 15 and lost only 10, a win percentage of 52%, a massive turnaround from the long winless run that he took over from with the team sitting in 20th. Orient's only league defeat this season, of course, had come at Brisbane Road as they lost out 1-0 to Sutton United. And the return of the day's referee Cole Brook to E10 may have led to some fans avoiding ladders until at least tea time. However, that was the only blemish on the home league record of 11 games with six wins and four draws. The hosts have been deadly at both ends of the pitch with 42 goals in 22 league games so far, third in the division behind Salford and Harrogate, and conceding only 13 first in the division with 10 clean sheets. Two figures combined giving Orient the best goal difference in the National League with plus 29. 
As for their opponents, Gateshead, they occupied the final playoff place in 7th, 11 points behind Orient, with a game in hand after Tuesday night's match at home to Solihull was earlier rearranged due to the visitors' FA Cup commitments on Friday night. The Heat were in action though last Saturday, scoring a 2-1 league victory at Barnet to move their away league record uh, to 11 games with 6 wins and a draw. In fact, Gates had won three of their last six in the league with one draw and boasted a good defensive record of 18 conceded in 21 league games. Of course, yes, they aren't reached the halfway stage of their National League campaign, would they still be top of the league after 23 matches? Well, on to the match itself, and Orient stretched their unbeaten run to nine league games after a 2-0 victory over Gateshead at the Bray Group Stadium. The game was attritional for much of the first half, with both sides struggling to develop any flow, before a moment of magic from Josh Caroma on the stroke of half-time saw him denied by a combination of the bar and keeper. Orient came out meaning business after the turnaround, forcing a succession of corners, but still struggled to break through before a 58th minute mazy run and strike from Josh Caroma put the O's ahead. The game became a little scrappy then with a number of stoppages and a number of uh, strange decisions from referee Cole Brook, and the Gateshead chance fell narrowly wide before James Larby forced a mistake in the defence and squared for Macaulay Bond to put the game out of sight, the pain for Gateshead compounded by a second yellow for Greg Ollie late on. In yesterday's other action, well, it was a National League schedule reduced by FA Cup second round action, uh, but there was a two-all draw for AFC Fylde and Sutton United. FC United managed to pull out a 2-0 win at Aldershot Town. Uh, Braintree Town nil, Barrow 2. Eastie 2, Dover Athletic 2. Dagenham and Rebridge 2 goals in the 90th minute. Ben Goodliffe and uh, Matthew Robinson giving them a 2-1 victory against Hartlepool United. Maidenhead United 1, Harrogate Town 2. And, uh, of course, already rivals at the top of the moment, Salford City pulling out a 3-0 victory against Haven and Waterlooville. Adam Rooney uh, scoring yet another goal, this one coming in the 22nd minute. But after yesterday's matches, Orient remained top of the league, a point clear of Salford in second. The O's are now halfway through the league season with 50 points from 23 matches, and next faced 11 place Boreham Wood away in the league on Saturday. That one's having an earlier kickoff with a 12.35 start. However, uh, as many of you know, an Orient 11 is in London Senior Cup at tomorrow evening at Haringey Borough uh, with a 7.45pm kickoff. Uh, winner travelling to Welling United in the quarterfinals. So after yesterday's win, Dave Victor caught up with assistant coach Ross Embleton. Well Ross, thanks for joining us. Congratulations. It's an important win and a win you had to work hard for. Very much so, yeah. I think um, when you group together three games like we've had in the last week, you know, it's, it's tough and, and, and sometimes you can get to that last one and think, come on, we've got a little break in terms of a you know week between now and the next one um, so it's important to you know to try to sign off that week with a, with a good feeling and then also the fact that you, know, you can you, you drop points if you like on Tuesday night it wasn't it wasn't the maximum points that we were all hoping for um, so to bounce back with another three is, is vitally important to take seven points from the week I think we're, we're happy with that Josh Coroma doesn't score simple goals does he no certainly not it's funny because um, he's getting to that stage now where you where you sort of be expecting of him when he gets into those positions, and um, it, it's something that the, the managers put onto him to say that you know he needs to be more of a threat in and around the box, and, and he, he works he works on his finishing, whether it be out with, with Danny Webb, 
uh, his extra sessions that we do in the morning or whether he stays out himself and, and, and does that extra bit by himself or with other players in the group. So it's fully deserved. It's not a fluke. He's playing with his head up now, isn't he? He's looking for options. He's so ambitious. Yeah, I think he's got a bit between his teeth, Dave. I think if you look at him, you know, people talk a lot about the gaffer's been here a year now. If you look at the, situ- the, the position and the situation that Josh Caroma was in this time last year, he's come a hell of a long way. Physically, he can, you know, he can cope now. You're tiring towards the end like the rest of the boys were, but we know that we can move him into a position he can help us and protect us defensively, as well as being that, you know, having that energy and that one v one, that wonderful one v one ability in the final third. It's the first day in December. It won't be too long till January. Are you worried that other clubs are looking at just how good Josh Caroma is at the moment? Certainly always worried when, when your players are doing well. I think you know when you're a team at the top of the league that we are at the moment, everybody's going to be looking at a lot of your players. Certainly Josh at his age and the performances he's putting in, the, the uh, elements of his game that he's added certainly this season, he's going to turn heads and uh, that's something that we should be proud of for him in terms of the performances he's putting in and something that we you know we've got we've got to expect that it's going to be that focus on our players I don't think he's the only one in our squad that that people are going to be um, going to be very keen on that's that's part of the position that you're in absolutely another goal for Macaulay Bond of course yeah exactly I think um, there needs to be real recognition for for what James did in terms of running that that channel and getting onto that that ball into the corner and then that you know we've 40 seconds or whatever it was that was remaining I think whether people would have blamed him for trying to be selfish and finish it off with, with his own with a goal for himself so you know, a lot of credit goes to James for running into that area and, and then picking Macca out and, and very little doubt when Macca gets into those positions Well that was Ross Embleton uh, speaking after the game uh, with Dave Victor I'm joined in the studio tonight by Orient Chairman Nigel Travis Vice Chairman and Principal Investor Kent Teague uh, Pandemonium Editor Matt Roper and it's Pandemonium he's finally come in wearing a rather fetching pair of shorts. Uh, it's not quite the weather for it. And uh, two former Orienteer editors in Jamie Stripe and uh, and Dave Knight as well joining us uh, in the studio tonight. And, um, well, Mr Chairman, um, a job well done, but uh, they had to work hard for it in the end. Yeah, um, I actually, I think it was a very good win yesterday. And uh, I think... Certainly we would have lost that game last year. I think we, we all agree with that. Um, I think they ground it out for a long time. Um, I thought it was going to be a little bit of a repeat of Tuesday night, but as you said, I think that strike from Josh just before the half-time sort of sparked something, and I'm sure Justin did his usual talk at half-time, and I thought the second half we played very well. And, I mean, Josh looked very dangerous. Um, but And again, you mentioned it, Chris, I think, the role that James played at the end was very important as it was last week um, against Wrexham. So I think it was a good win. I think, and I said this after the game to a few people, I think we'll look back and say that was one of the games that were very important this season. I mean, they're seventh. Uh, The players I talked to all thought they were a good team. I think they helped a bit because they actually did do some attacking, which many teams don't. So excellent game, excellent result. Um, and we just need to keep adding to that total as we go through the year. Well, the uh, Kent, one of the uh, things that people say about these games, it's one for the purists, and I'm I'm not, not entirely convinced the purists would have enjoyed the first half as much uh, either. Um, but as you say, you're going to have a day removed. You've got the win. It's two 0 That's all that's going to be reading uh, on the record. Correct. Orient did well in right. the end, broke them down. But right. uh, as you say. You, 
you spoke before, with 23 games in, however many home games are going to have until the end of the season, you're going to have games like these. Agreed. We're going to have a lot of games like this. Sides are going to come to you know, the stadium, Briar Group Stadium, and they're, and this is how they're going to play us, uh, the way they that we played on Tuesday night. So I think we're going to face more games like we faced Tuesday night than we faced uh, on Saturday. But ultimately, it turns out to be an enjoyable game in the end. It's frustrating in parts, like it was on Tuesday night. But right. when you talk about Josh's goal, and, and well, he's just becoming a specialist in storing those sort of goals. Correct. I mean, he, he, has, he has the talent, the skill, and for some reason his mentality has shifted, especially after what seemingly is over the last eight or ten games. Um, his mentality, his aggressiveness, his belief in himself seems to have, have heightened, and uh, he's playing very, very well, as is everyone in, in the side. I mean, we have people that play really, really well, and we have people who play really well, and that's kind of what we've got right now. So we're, we're doing very well. I'm, I'm afraid we may have missed set expectations with the fans and having 50 points in 23 games, but we'll see how it, how it ends up. I mean, have you, have you had much dealings, obviously, with, with Josh travelling on, on the coach um, with him? Because he comes across to me, he's becoming more confident, but he comes across to me last season as a very shy he is. player. He is. He's, he is. He's a, very, he's a very quiet and he is somewhat shy. I think around his friends, he's very jovial and, and he seems to get along with the other lads on the team really, really well. And they all have a great rapport uh, but yeah, I think that Josh just individually he does strike me as fairly you know reserved, and I, and we've got a few on our team that are that way, and then we've got some that are not that way. Uh, George Ellicobi comes to mind, and it, it is all about the the mix <laughs> as we talked before, the mix of experience and youth, and the mix of those sort of characters. Yep. Um, looking back on the on the game yesterday, Matt, though, um, it was a game that initially felt very similar to Tuesday night against Aldershot with. Passes going astray, touches a little bit off. The difference perhaps being, unlike Aldershot, who sat in with the two banks of four plus, Gateshead really came out yesterday and, and were going for the three points in that game. That They did. It was quite, um, I said on social media last night, it was interesting to see the way they, they set up. They pressed us very, very high from the off and actually probably could have probably could have opened the scoring, to be fair. Um, I thought they were very, very good going forward. They were quite pacey in, in wide areas and uh, wouldn't say they overly caused us problems, but there were a few, a few scary moments. Um, I think the, the, the first half yesterday, I mean, I, I, I said on Tuesday, I thought first half we were actually very good on Tuesday against Aldershot. Um, I thought we moved the ball very, very well. I thought we were confident moving the ball. Wasn't quite as quick as it probably should have been when we get in around a box in the final third, you know, maybe we needed to mix it up a little bit, either in wide or, or central areas. Um, so I actually thought we were poorer yesterday, first half, than we were against against Aldershot. Um, but I think the goal came at just about the right time. I think there were a lot of people looking at their watch, and it was sort of almost a, a, a golden five minutes. I think had it gone on nil-nil yesterday for another sort of five, six minutes, I think we may well have struggled and, and, and probably come out with a nil-nil. So it came just at the right time. I mean, Dave, it was getting to the point yesterday where the, the locals were getting a little bit restless at some points. You're creeping up into the hour mark and there's been some good play by Orient, but not quite, it just hasn't quite clicked yet. And Josh's goal did come at the perfect time. Yeah, it was a fantastic goal. I 
on and it was an absolutely brilliant hit by Josh and, and it was a great bit of play by Joby to open up the defence for him. So it was, a, it was a really cracking strike. I really enjoyed it. I have to say I really enjoyed the game yesterday. I thought Gates had offered really decent opposition. I tried to play football. They had a left back who kept coming down um, and attacking us. And they had a couple of bright forwards, uh, Bowden and Armstrong, I think they were called. They were, uh, they were very kind of clever together and they looked like they played well together. So I was really impressed with our centre-backs, actually, for dealing with those two. I thought our centre-backs had, both had really good games in actually nullifying that threat from Gateshead. And James said being a good team makes a 2-0 result really quite special. For and, me. And, the, and it yeah. was strange, Jamie, looking at it, you, you've obviously got um, Mike Williamson playing at the back there for Gateshead, which when you think a few years ago he was playing Premier League football for Newcastle United, uh, coming up against Orient, it's, uh, he might have lost some of the pace, but he's obviously still got the, the game in his head. He's still playing a Premier League game of football. Yeah, also it probably shows you the actual strength of the league we're in. I think it's quite easy at times to forget that there's some decent players at, at this level and you know, some up-and-coming clubs but I think it's testament to the way that we played yesterday I mean I think that someone like Josh Caroma is making a name for himself and the goal he scored yesterday was just testament to the sort of X factor he can bring it's in a, you know, we were looking a little bit lost up front at times yesterday and suddenly out of nothing a little shimmy in the area and a devastating finish yeah. and he's got the X factor that we need, and it's the kind of you know exciting player that Orient fans love to see. You know, you know, we haven't had that many of them over the last forty years. I'm like you know, Laurie Cunningham, I suppose, a little bit before my time, but well, a lot before my time, but a little bit before my time. You know, Laurie Cunningham, he he get that excitement when he gets on the ball. Alan Comfort, I mean, we all remember Alan Comfort. You know, getting on the ball and you think something's going to happen, and you're getting that with Josh Cromer now, and it's just a a, a testament to you know the way he's developed and it's, it's also a big compliment to our youth system because we've had two or three come through in difficult circumstances the last two or three years and Miles Judd's another one and uh, Dan Happy's another one you know they're all beginning to become good solid performers for us. Now I know a lot of us were coming out of the game yesterday and sort of mopping our brows and thinking well phew we've we've got through that but I bumped into you at the supporters club after the game and you you thought it was a better performance than many of us thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was a great performance, like, like Nigel said and everyone else. They've just said, Gate said, you know, they came to play. They were no, no mugs, no pushovers. They actually tested us, uh, especially their fullback. I, I thought he, I, I think it's the same fullback who actually terrorised us in that yeah. FA Trophy game is, yeah. last season. And he was getting forward and putting some pretty dangerous balls in. And I also have to say, I thought the way Widdison played yesterday, I thought we had a fantastic mm. game for us. And he's been one of our unsung heroes. So it was a good performance from us. And as we said earlier, looking back at that result, I think that those kind of results are going to go a long way to pushing us towards where we need to be in May. And uh, Nigel, Ross spoke about it after the game. It, it was, on paper, a tough run of games this week because although Aldershot was the more winnable game, and ironically it's the game that Orient didn't win, having Wrexham, Aldershot and then Gateshead in the same week is... It's going to be tough for any team to get through. Yeah, if we'd gone into those three games and said we were going to get seven points, we would all been thumbs up. Right, guys? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we yeah. took it. Um, I think what happened was we won at Wrexham and that lifts the expectations. And I think it was, I mean, I actually watched the game from Korea and uh, I noticed that the crowd was much quieter on Tuesday. And I think what happens is everyone builds up an expectation 
when I think what we want to try and encourage one to do is get right behind them from the start in every game because the noise level definitely lifts the crowd and at times uh, the stadium really is extremely loud and that's what we want all the time but I mean seven points from those three games are fantastic and even Aldershot they drew at Bradford City I know they lost mm. on penalties but I mean they clearly came to do a job and I thought the first 10 minutes they weren't very good but once they got their act together yeah. you know they they defended extremely well and, and the truth know, is they could have got the win at they, one they, point they there, was, there was the clearance from yeah, the line wasn't yeah, it? yeah so yeah, I was pleased that I didn't go in but I think they came, did a job. If we'd been in their situation, I'm sure we would have done the same thing. So give them credit. Um, Ken, I know you don't like uh, draws, obviously. This is a, this is a well-publicised <laughs> thing. I thought we were going to get, and I, th- I thought, it, it was my first reaction was uh, um, we had nil-nil on Tuesday, and I thought, well, Kent's come over, and we've had, a, <laughs> we've had a nil, we're playing so well, and we've had a nil-nil, and then it gets to Saturday, and you get to about 50 minutes, and then you think, Oh dear, Kent's over and it's still nil-nil and he's not seen a he's not seen a goal and we're wondering if he's a little bit cursed maybe as seeing the games. But um, I'm not the reason. No, you're not the reason. No, I, I, I don't I, know what 46 times three is. I can't do it in my head right quick. But that's the number we'd be at at the end of the season. So if if it was if I was the curse, yeah, there yeah, we go. If I was the reason. Um, Obviously, Justin touched on it after the Aldershot game, and, and Nigel's mentioned a bit a bit there. If the results had come the other way round on Tuesday, had Orient drawn nil nil against Wrexham and then beaten Aldershot two nil, we're we're feeling completely different about it. It's the, the two different ways to get four points, but if anything, leading into yesterday's game, we felt more down than up. Right. Well, I mean, we. Uh, I mean, there there are lots of different ways to get get the result. Uh, one thing I have noticed in my short time at Lake Orient Football Club is we do seem to like to have it be dramatic. So, yeah, it worked out how it worked out. Like Nigel said, we got the seven points, and we move on to the next part of the season. So we finished the first half. Now let's see how the second half goes. Matt, we were talking uh, – well, certainly Justin was talking after the Aldershot game that he thought maybe it was a game too far for a couple of the players. And, and definitely people did look a little bit lethargic, whether it was physically or, or mentally. The passes were about a, a foot off or a second too late. Were you surprised after what he said that actually, apart from um, Judd coming out of the team for an injury and Ling coming in, that it was effectively the same team? Um, yes and no, really. I mean, obviously... Uh, <laughs> And this is where I'm going to take a, a little bit with, with some of our own fans, is that people were saying on Tuesday night and agreeing with Justin that we looked a bit jaded, we looked a bit slow. And then you've got probably several of the same people then questioning uh, that the replacements maybe to come in are not quite, not quite good enough to sort of make the starting eleven. So, you know, what, you know, what, do, you, what do you really want? You know, do, do, you know? And, and I think really, you know, when you have... Um, you know, a, a winning or unbeaten side. I think most managers or coaches will tell you it's very hard to change, a, you know, a winning or unbeaten team without, you know, without very, very good reason. Um, you know, looking at Saturday from Tuesday, obviously you've had the one the one change at right back to injury. You know, who are you really, really going to change there? You know, no disrespect to James Alabi and Matt Harold. Um, are they really going to take a place from the front two? Um you know, is Dan Hat or Ella Kobe going to take a place from the, you know, the back two? 
Um, you know, so w- where are you really going to make those changes? Uh, you know, but I-, I think I'm sure Justin, you know, now we've got, all, uh, if you like, a week off. I'm sure, obviously, that, you know, the, the, the medical side and the science team will, you know, you know, ensure where we need to be for next Saturday. And personally, if it was me, you know, I wouldn't be looking to make too many changes whilst we stay, you know, as, as an unbeaten team. I, I don't really see, you know, the, the, the reason to do that. I mean, looking, Dave, at the, the changes to the team yesterday, we, well, the only change to the starting 11, Miles Judd missing out with a hamstring injury, meaning that Sam Ling uh, came back into the starting 11. Uh, just to mention that Judd's probably due a scan, I think, on, on Monday to find the extent of the damage of that. Um, Sam Ling, well, Ross, in after the game, that Sam probably has come in not at full fitness mm. or full match fitness and um, a week early, probably, he said the idea to give him yeah. minutes um, tomorrow night against Haringey Borough to get him ready if he needs to be ready for the Boreham Wood game and uh, he didn't look 100% he looked off it match wise didn't he a little bit nervous he did, he, yeah he didn't look as sharp as he has done And um, but I think that's the same for most professional footballers if they've been out of the side for a few weeks your first game back is kind of tough it's kind of tough to pick up the pace again kind of tough to get your mind working get your mindset right and yeah, tough players to play against uh, on Saturday. They were not an easy team to um, to play against, Gay said. So, don't really blame Sam Ling. I'm sure that he'll get back to uh, to being the strong player he was when he initially came to the club. And um, I look forward to seeing him playing more games. But he has got a job on his hands getting Miles Judd out of the team because Miles is having an exceptional season. So, been it nice to have that sort of strength in depth where you just think to yourself, which one's the better? Which one should play? I like that about our squad at the moment. And, and Craig Clay as well yesterday when he slipped yeah, back great, into right back. I, I, yeah. I turned to the, the person next to me, a, a Craig Clay marauding run from right back <laughs> at one point. When we, I mean, it just, I mean, it's not, it's not a position you want to play him in every week, but you were looking at the subs and you were thinking, well, Alex Lawless or Zorro as he was yeah, yesterday, yeah. does he come on and, and play at right back or does Clay shift to right back? There's all that sort of mm-hmm. slotting in that people yeah. can do. And... For many ways, the team looked at the end of the game. It was people in unusual positions, but it wasn't. I mean, Joby can play centre back. Craig Clay can play right back. You got Lawless in there. It just seems to work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's worth saying, Chris, that pre-season Justin tried all kinds of combinations to plan for these eventualities, and and just going back on Sam. I mean, Sam was probably only eighty percent fit. But some, you have to do that, as, as yeah. Dave said. I actually think he did pretty well because, as you said, that left back was overloading all the time, so he had two players on him. And I commented at half-time to Martin that a couple of times he slowed them down and then actually intercepted, yeah. which is not easy to do. So um, he had a really difficult job, and I think he did it pretty well in the circumstances. Yeah. And he admitted on Twitter after the game, he said Rusty was an understatement. Um, and, and as we say, um, it was a side that Gates had got a lot of joy in, in the first half, but by the second half, it had really been uh, clamped down on. Um, do you think, Jamie, that, that I mean, 2-0 was the, the eventual scoreline, and I think some of us were saying after the game, in many ways, and I think Steve Watson was agreeing as well, it's a harsh scoreline on Gateshead, but I mean, that's that's how it goes sometimes. Well... There was two moments in that second half when it, it could have gone either way. Uh, one was a shot that narrowly whistled past the post and I think Brill was stranded and run right at the death and injury time when it was a header, a flick header, and it just bounced the right side of the post for us and off for a goal kick. Um, 
fine lines and fine margins. I mean, it's happened to us down the years, you know, penalty kicks gone, gone awry and things like that. But they were a little, you know, you can say they were a little bit unlucky, but I thought we just had a little bit more quality up front. And if you've got forwards like we've got, they've got the the X factor. And I, I always say if it comes to a straight shootout, you know, if a team comes to attack us, obviously we've got more up front than I should think nearly every other team in this division. And uh, yeah, maybe Gates were a little bit unlucky, but we, I think we, I think we just about edged it. I think we had enough. And there, were, there was the argument that the the guy who got sent off in the end, Greg Ollie. I mean, it, it was a justified two yellow cards. He was, it was a little bit lucky, I think, to maybe get away with with the first one. Well, there was one, there was one or two lot t- tackles yesterday that kind of went under the radar even before that happened. I think Bond had a just about escaped a two-footed slide tackle which in the Premier League everyone had been screaming murder for but you, you know it, we're in the sort of division where you're going to you know you, you're going to get those sort of tackles and they normally go unpunished I, I don't think he's got any complaints about that and you know it could have been it could quite have easily been one or two others that went before he did uh, Now we heard in the week uh, after the Aldershot game um, Justin was talking about uh, the need for one or two new faces um, one more in the wide area with Josh um, doing so well up top and uh, the phrase you can never have enough uh, strikers now Thor on the forums has asked uh, in the recent past under Slade Barry Hearn failed to back his manager with signings which would have given us the squad depth and strength to be able to compete till the end of the season we failed to go up automatically when well placed to do so will you as the current owners avoid making the same mistake and back both Martin and Justin the most anticipated question. <laughs> if you if you read the forum, I could have written that question myself. I think so. Here, here's how it works. Um, you know, we we work very hard week to week, but not as hard as Martin and Danny. And I talk to Martin a lot, and we talk, and you and the three of us were talking about this before we started. It's the process that we like to make sure we always have a list of players. And, and Kent and I have no other job than to make sure as a list. Uh, occasionally we'll have a view or look up someone, but it's Martin and Justin. So they look at it all the time. They tend to be, based on the experience this year, of a view that you try and keep the team as close to where we are now as possible. Does that mean we're going to bring someone in? Possibly. Does it mean that someone may go out on loan, possibly, but we're still a month away. And Kent said this to me yesterday, it's very true. The way the loan market, sorry, not just the loan market, the transfer market operates in January, it tends to start at the higher levels and then go all the way down to the National League. And if you think about the business we did last year, it tended to be towards the end of the, uh, the transfer window. Uh, towards the end of January so if anything's going to happen it'll probably happen then but it's not really a question about backing them or not I think we back them all the time and I think they've recognised that it's a question of making the right decisions and we have to make judgments about finance we have to make judgments about what they recommend to us and I have to say the whole time that we've owned the club I don't think we've ever had a big dispute about anything like this it's always been very agreeable they explained the logic. I mean, I think I explained on this show once before, when we brought in Sam, the first decision we made was that Sam, that Martin couldn't be part of it. So he was taken out of the process and we all made the decision together. So I think, you know, 
I think one of the things we we like to believe we brought to the club is good processes, good decision making processes. And let me tell you, as a fan, as an owner, along with Kent, we want to go up, but we're not going to do stupid things. I mean, it's you know we're not going to suddenly go out and spend four hundred thousand on someone to get promotion. Um, because it may not work, it may disrupt the squad. So there's all kinds of things you need to take into account. But we will make the right decisions. But I don't want anyone to be under any illusion. Our biggest goal is to get out of this league this year, and it's a very difficult league to get out of. Talking about transfers, Kent, you've obviously got a team a point behind in Salford, and it's almost certain that they're going to make some sort of investment during the transfer window. And that, I mean, just like you talk up at the Premier League with, with teams like Man City and, and, and other teams like that, it can distort the market a little bit that a player doesn't necessarily go for the value that, that you would place on him. Correct. Well, other clubs may not have the same philosophy or the same strategy that we have. And, you know, we have to respect their philosophy and their strategy and they may do it differently. And however they decide to do it uh, may work as well or better or worse than our strategy. But our basic strategy is in place. We've been talking about it. We look at the transfer market, not from a six-month perspective, but from an 18-month perspective. We spend a lot of time having a conversation with Martin and uh, Justin and Fozzie about, you know, who we're looking at, why we're looking at them, when we might bring them in, how might we bring them in. And I am consistently asked, and Nigel is consistently asked, to be in the building at the end of the transfer window, not the beginning of the transfer window, because as Nigel said, things tend to fall to us. If there is a player who is available who will make a drastic improvement in our side, they will be signed by Leighton Orient Football Club. That's just how that's going to work. If they are not a drastic improvement, they probably will not. So only in the sense that they would be a drastic improvement over a medium or long term would we end up signing an additional player. Now We that, have 50 points in 23 games, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure we have to do anything drastic to go win the league. Well, Justin spoke on the uh, O show this week, as, as you did, Kent, uh, celebrating his year in charge, um, seemingly talking about being on track to achieve targets this season. Um, he said, speaking of the form when he took over, uh, to spend that on its head and uh, go on the run that they have is truly remarkable. What that's given us is an incredible foundation and spirit here that's looking like it's going to take us to achieve what we set out to do at the start of the season. And Kent, we know you have targets for each spell when we saw last season. Yep. Um, 50 points after 23 games. Two are, point, do you think the O's are on? Above. They're, they're above. They're we're above. Just top. above. 2.1. We're, right, we're just above. We're right in the range. Uh, so now even Martin Ling tracks this and he shows us the little uh, graph. We are just slightly above um, where we believe we need to be. But that doesn't mean we're unhappy about it. But we are, from a from a just a pure numeric uh, view, we are slightly above. We're at the 2.1. We're just above 2.1, which is the perfect place to be. That where we are is exactly where we want to end up at the end of the year. That's exactly where we want to be. That's what we want. Obviously, top of the table, 23 games in, halfway through the season. 
Um, it's a happy position to be in. Um, was it a position that you expected, Nigel? Well, um, before we started the season, we all did our league tables. And I'm not going to say what I put down, but I put down that I was, we were going to be fairly well up the table, put it like that. Um, I think, in my view, we've slightly exceeded my expectations. Uh, I think Justin has done an absolutely awesome job. Agreed. Um, I think one thing Chris, Kenton and I were talking about before we came in was a strange thing called celebrations. And, you know, we've been accused of over-celebrating by some other fans. And I think that's nonsense. Um, Kent and I both obviously watch American sports and you actually commented, you know, about how they celebrate. But it's, it's, the, it's the togetherness of the team that I think generates that. And, you know, I'm going to steal ten, Kent's point again. Watch what happened yesterday. Everyone went to a lobby after that second goal. And Bomb was like left out there. He scored enough goals. But uh, let's go and celebrate with a lobby. And I, really interesting thing for me. I spent the night up in Halifax when we were up there. And James hadn't scored at that time. Was getting some stick and what have you. And I remember going up to him and saying, James, I've got a feeling you're going to score tomorrow. And if you remember, he scored in the last minute. And all the players were so happy for him. We have got a squad that, for, for some reason, and I think it's Justin and Martin and everyone's worked at it, they just gelled. They like each other. I had a, com I t had a conversation at the kids' party today with uh, a senior player, let's say, and I said, you know, you'll be back in the team soon. Perhaps someone will get injured. And this player said to me, Nigel, you're wrong. I don't want anyone to get injured. The only way I'm going to get back is by being better. I mean, isn't that a great attitude to have? So I think this is a special squad led by a special leader in Justin. We should all be proud of them. And I think going back to the whole transfer thing, it is the character and the mix that is very important in making these decisions. Uh, well, we've got a guy uh, listening in from Croatia, Paul Fisher listening in uh, today. Congrats on reaching the milestone. I rarely miss a live broadcast. Uh, question for the bosses. We all know the three to four year plan uh, to get back into the EFL. Uh, but given where we are this season, are they tempted to really go for it now? No. Not, not, not ahead of your three no. to four year plan? No. <laughs> okay, so you're still on. No. Okay. You cannot ruin the strategy and the philosophy because you believe that you have the possibility of a roulette wheel coming up on green no so if we do it period no if we do it we do it if we the not answers no keep asking no <laughs> three to four no Okay. <laughs> that's a no then. So, I mean, so, so I, I, mean I, I think I already that's answered no. it in yeah. a different way. I mean, I talked about the 400,000. Yeah. I mean, we've all seen clubs get ruined by doing ridiculous things. And I think, <laughs> I, I think there's one very close <laughs> really? to home, right? Um, and, you know, I know it's not always a popular thing. We're going to run this club sensibly and we're going to build for the future. I've supported the club for, what's it, 59 years. Uh, and I've seen all the ups and downs like my colleagues here have. And fine, we will do what we need to do. We'll do it in the right way. And I think we repeatedly say that. And by the way, the other thing is the window isn't the only time. We can sign players up until March. 
And if you think about it, this time last year, none of us had even heard of Marvin. We were having the same conversation last year when everybody was asking us what we were going to do to make sure that we didn't get relegated. And we kept saying, no, we're not going to change. No, we're not going to change. We're going to keep it steady. We're going to be steady. We're going to be steady. Now everybody's gone from feed to, from fear to greed, and the answer's still no. <laughs> um, <laughs> question uh, came in on the um, forums, um, and I, I won't ask the, the uh, chairman and vice chairman to answer this. And to be fair, boys, you can opt out of this uh, in terms of Jonahism, etc. Um, does the panel believe we will win the league this year? If not, why not? I'm looking at you, Jamie, because you, <laughs> you know how to curse something, don't you, Jamie? Yeah, the easy ones first, eh? Um, I think if we can keep Bon and Coroma here, and if nobody comes in over transfer window and offers a stupid money, if we can keep him here, Kent's shaking his head, that's a good sign. If we can keep them and keep people like Ekpateta, Joby, Widdison, Coulson, Clay, Fit and Firing, we will be there or thereabouts. Oh, there we go. That's nice and non-committal, Dave. Yeah. Well, I'd say so far so good. I'm not great at predicting things, especially when it comes to Leighton Orient, <laughs> because at times I've predicted things and they've gone wildly wrong. So um, let's not uh, try and predict what's going to happen. What I would say, though, is I mean, I'm really enjoying watching the team at the moment. I think Nigel's point about the team spirit and the way they celebrated at Wrexham was fantastic. I love to see that. All our fans love to see that. We love to see the team bonding, such an important part of a successful team. So that's fantastic as far as I'm concerned. And watching them play, there's no reason why not, let's say. There's no reason why not. They could, they, could, they are in a position where they could win the league. But there's other teams out there we want to win the league too. And it's a competitive league. And we'll just have to see how some of these games go. I mean, on January the 5th, we've got Salford City coming to our ground. That is going to be one tasty game. I'm looking forward to it already. But it will be a difficult game. It won't be easy. Salford aren't going to uh, just lay there and let Leighton and get promoted. But I'm um, really enjoying watching the team at the moment. I'll continue to enjoy watching them, I hope. And I hope some of these games turn out to be great successes for us. I really hope the team get promoted this season. Now, Matt, you um, run the risk of cursing every time you produce a copy of Pandemonium. And I know I read, yes. in, I read in the editorial this time you said, as we write, we're top of the table, but probably... <laughs> By the time you read this, we won't be. Um, so uh, do you want to make any... Well, I think looking at it, Craig, what, what you can do is you can look, we're halfway through, and if we do in the second half of the season what we did in the first, we win the league. It's as simple as that. Now, you say it's as simple as that in terms of the points tally, but it's obviously not as simple as that in terms of playing 23 other games because there are, you know, there, there are a couple of teams chasing down. I think if you have a look now... Uh, to where the playoffs are. Uh, that, that's probably people are going to start moaning, but that's obviously a fallback position. There is now a big gap of 14 points between us and, and the playoffs. So you're starting to see sm smaller gaps open up within the top seven. A few weeks ago, we were probably, what, guys, eight points maybe, eight, maybe, even 10, but it's now 14. So, and I think the way the fixtures that are set for Boxing Day, you have. Um, this is where the Jonah moment goes. We have Dagenham twice. So you would hope that we take six points. I'm not going to make a prediction. And you have Salford playing Wrexham, both home and away, and then Salford come to our ground on the fifth. So in the space of 10 days, you have the team who are in second and third playing each other twice, and the team who are second coming to our ground. Now, 
I'll make no predictions, but obviously if the results go, you know, right, that could be two draws in the Salford and Wrexham game. It could even be that they beat each other and, and they take three points each. If we were to take six from the two Dagenham games and then beat Salford at home, you'll see a, a much bigger gap, certainly to, to Wrexham or whoever might be in third. And teams like Harrogate aren't going away yet and Solihull aren't going away yet. Um, I mean, I suppose that was, that was so much, if you like, not, not so much, but not, not criticism of the Aldershot game. There was disappointment because we won the Wrexham game and as, and as Nigel says, the expectation goes through the roof that that's it, here we go. But this is, this is, everyone's sitting here and even Kent has been here a year and a half. This is, this is Orient. This is, we're not going to, we're not going to do this easily. We are not going to do, you know, I, I said last night on the train home, um, my son now currently has a Saturday job and I said, if we need to, to beat Braintree in the last game, are you working? And he said, Dad, I'm going to take a day sick. I said, of course you are. I'll ring up for you. I'll pay, I'll pay your wages for the day to come, to come away. Because let's face it, we probably all know that the way this season is going, and I think which is in the back of everyone's minds being serious for the moment, everyone sees a horrible little parallel with 13-14 in that we're going to end up with about 96, 97 points and God forbid Salford are going to end up with the 98 or, or you know whatever it might be. But let's face it, we are where we are. And at the end of the day, although it is another 23-game stint, if you match Salford um, you know, for that 23-game stint, you're going to win the league. So, you know, it's not that easy and it will probably be a case of, yes, probably against Braintree, it'll probably be one all going into the 88th minute and Salford are 4-0 up at Hartlepool and we need a goal. But, but this is, is I, I said a few years back, actually being an Orient fan, that's, that's part of the fun of being an Orient fan. You know, doing it in the last minute. <laughs> we all remember Oxford. Yes. You know, we, we you know, the playoffs in 89, we were, you know, we were we were ten minutes away from. I think we still away goals, guys, were not it? In them days with oh, Wrexham, I think we probably were. May have gone to extra time and then yeah, away goals, yeah. and it was only what twelve minutes before mm. Mark Cooper scored. So, yeah, it wouldn't it be lovely to think that with three games to go, we are ten clear. But you know, come on, let's let's spice it up a little bit. Let's have a bit of fun going towards the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> um, Paul Nice has been in touch, radio at phoenixfm.com. A great, uh, great, great show, Chris, with a very special guest. They are all special. Uh, who can doubt uh, Nigel and Kent's strategy so far? Uh, Paul says he's a happy O uh, out there in Malta. Uh, Les Kay, now that you've, you've brought, the, the, it's been brought up by Jamie. We're going to have to bring it up. Um, question for the panel, um, but I think we're specifically looking at you, <laughs> Kent and Nigel. Uh, with Bon and Caroma in red hot form and the January transfer window coming up, do they anticipate any move for these two from league clubs and would they be able to resist a large bid? No, we do not expect a move. Yes, we would be able to resist a bid. So you don't expect anyone to come in for those two players? Not necessarily, no. No, we're not hearing, I mean, we're not hearing any rumours <coughs> or any, any movement or, or anybody uh, like having a conversation that, that, we're, that we're being made aware of. I mean, there was the, the, the talk, Nigel, about Macaulay Bond, and, and was, yep. it, was it just paper talk? Was there, was, was there actually anything behind it, or was well, it Justin had to sort of dismiss it I, to just get it out of the way? You're talking about pre-season, right? Well, no, I'm talking about, obviously, there was, there was the talk, I think, I, I can't remember what particular newspaper it was, but it, it said about three, possibly three league clubs after Macaulay Bond. Oh, was that, that last week? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I read the same stuff. Uh, as Kent said... We're not aware of any of that. Uh, it's often paper talk. 
and we're all united that we want to keep the players we've got. And by the way, you know, if I was another club, I'd be interested in more than just those two. We've got some really good players, uh, and you know, we're determined to keep them there. And I come back to a central point today. We are managing and leading this club in a way that we want to, and it isn't a short-term strategy, but it's about making sure that we have the right culture. The culture led by Justin, in my view, is perfect. I mean, he is am amazingly straightforward, and, he, and players love it. Players know where they stand with him, they can go and talk to him, and they'll get a straight answer. I mean, I think we all agree he's brilliant at substitutions. I mean, staggeringly good. I think all that goes into it because players have seen what happens elsewhere. We've got senior players who will say to some of the younger players, listen, be careful what you wish for elsewhere. I think everyone wants to stay. Everyone wants to see this through. And we're very determined to keep the team together. But then obviously the question then goes on. It's not just the players who are attracting attention. Justin's attracting attention as well. And we saw, obviously, um, that, that thing come out in the papers about, um, about again, could just be paper talk about AFC Wimbledon. And AFC Wimbledon still haven't appointed their new boss yet. I would be shocked if the players that we have been discussing, if they're agents, and I believe that Justin has an agent, I would, I would, not, I would not be surprised if those phones rang a lot now the question is do the players or justin really want to go to that club and leave the situation that they're in today and they're going to make that decision but from what we've heard there have been conversations about players there have been conversations about justin but those situations have not been presented to them in such a way that makes it attractive enough for them to go forward in that process. And so it's not our responsibility necessarily to build a club that makes it impossible for people to go away, but we certainly do enjoy currently a, a situation where people really wanna be here. They, the, player, the players tell us, the players tell each other, the players tell Justin, they tell Martin Ling, Justin tells us, they love being here. And so they do, they do. They tell us that all the time. The spirit is unbelievable. I'll give you an example. Today, we went to the kids' party, right, which was a great event. I was the last one to arrive, so my car is in the parking lot. What do we call it here? Yeah, car park. Car park. Car park. Yeah. You're asking me? What <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, okay, my car's the last one in there. So... And then someone tracks me down and says, you're blocking everyone from getting out. Well, I go down there and the players really think it's very funny and they give me a really rough time. That's the spirit, what you want. I mean, we have a spectacular spirit. They want to stay. We want them to stay. We want Justin to stay. I believe he will stay. Sure. And we're going to do everything we can to make sure Justin stays because he's doing, as I've said for like the 10th time, an absolutely frigging awesome job. <laughs> the, point, the, point, the, the, the point here, Chris, is, is and I'm, I'm going to ask fans to remember this, if there wasn't interest in any of our players and our manager, that means we're not top of the league. If there's no interest shown, that means we're 15th in the league. That's exactly you know, it's, right. It, 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 you know, it, it's a compliment 
to us. And of course, and, and I've had this conversation numerous times, certainly about strikers. And as Jamie says, strikers actually win win games. Of course, it's still a, te- a team sport, and of course, you know, whatever. But in games like yesterday, that's when strikers are going to, uh, uh, you know, win, win you the points that you, that you really need. So I would be absolutely amazed, aside from the paper talk, of which there will be some, if at least one club, if not more, was not interested in Macaulay Bond. Because, again, to me, if you are uh, maybe not really our league, because there's probably only, what, what really one side that, that, that might want to sign him in, in Salford, maybe, maybe Wrexham, but obviously, you know, they, they have strikers themselves. So you're going to look at the, the lower mid-echelons of, of League Two, maybe, maybe even a bit further up than that. The scouts and the managers at those clubs are not doing their job if they're not looking at a Macaulay Bond type player or a Josh, you know, a Josh Caroma. Um, you know, obviously we want them all to stay, but as Kent says, you know, it, at the end of the day, if there is an offer there on the table that the guys to my right cannot refuse to turn down because it is absolutely ridiculous money, and if the players want to leave, there's nothing we can do to stop that. Correct. However, I, I think the position we're in, and again, aligning with what Nigel has just said, I think the team spirit that has built up in and around Justin, I think, uh, you know, personally from, you know, from the manager's point of view, and his time within the football league, which hasn't been fantastic. He had, you know, problems at both clubs at Gillingham and Northampton. He had bad injuries and, and you know, bad spells with the, with the playing staff there. You know, Justin, I'm sure is clever enough to realise that he's in a wonderful position to put another promotion on his on his CV and to get back into league football with Leighton Orient than taking a, a jump to a club like Wimbledon who, you know, no disrespect, are, are going to be fighting against relegation to come into the division that we're trying to get into. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it swings and roundabouts. I, I, I'm pretty confident everyone's going to stay. Um, going back to do we add to the squad from the question previously... And as Kent says, it you know, and, and it always, no matter where you are in what league or what division you're in, um, you know, what level of sport you play, it has to be someone that adds value to the team. We're, we're top of the league, so there's no point bringing in also rounds. Remember, we only have five on the bench in this league as well, so there's no point bringing in people that are gonna, you know, are not even gonna make the bench. Yes, we can farm out some of the some of the youngsters, or you know, some of the people who Justin thinks are not quite meeting the you know the the, the the needs of the first 16 um, but it's got to be if we are going to bring someone it's got to be someone that's going to add value to that team and at the moment we're top of the league on 50 points so you know we're, you know of course there are people out there I'm sure we have value. but again it has to be the right person as well you know we, we saw it in you know after 13 14 people don't like me talking about the history of it but uh, you know uh, I had a conversation only last week with a a couple of people on, I won't name names on social media, but, you know, Russell Slade, as far as I was told, and when I spoke with him in the early part of that first year under a, a, a certain um, chairman, um, wanted, to, wanted to make the next step and sign, if you like, the next people that would take Orient possibly into the championship and didn't want the marquee signings that were being forced on him. And I'm sure Justin doesn't. And I'm sure these guys to my right don't. And I'm sure the guys to the left don't. We don't. You know, we we don't need we don't need those type of players who are going to upset the apple cart and are going to cause us as many problems as we think they might be as good. Um, 
now uh, we addressed where we win the league this year, but um, we, we spoke about Justin and Justin's obviously come up to, to a year now um, in charge of the club. And um, Ken, you appeared on the O show this week talking about his one year anniversary uh, in charge of the club. What a record it's been and what an impact he has made to the team. He's, he's been phenomenal. I mean, I'm glad he's having uh, anniversaries and birthdays at a greater rate than I am. So uh, I'm super excited about that. He is, you know, there are two things I really admire about Justin. One is that he has a tremendous work ethic. Uh, he goes to work every day. And when I say, I mean every day, I really believe he does uh, go to work every day. And then the second thing is he just makes people better. Uh, most of the side that we have today is very similar to the same side we had last year. And look at the difference in the results compared to what we had last year to the results we've had this year. And that that comes down to Justin. So his work ethic is fantastic and his ability to develop players and bring out the best in them. Uh, and I think it's very clear with a lot of our players that he's doing that. Um, when you came to a point in Justin, was there anyone else really in, in the frame or was Justin your front runner straight away? He, he came in he impressed and you thought, this has got to be the guy that we've got to appoint. Yeah, we had some other candidates that we looked at and uh, I think you're not doing the job properly if you just choose one person. And it's not necessarily right on the person you finally choose because they want to be chosen. I mean, rightly or wrongly, I've been in human resources for most of my life and general management and you should always select for more than one mm. and both times we selected from more than one um, and the first time we chose Steve over another very good candidate who since that time has done very well and very badly so shows <laughs> the ups and downs of football um, but a good candidate and then Justin I think it's fair to say the difference was Justin rose to the top very quickly. Uh, and I think the attraction was that he knew this league. I think that's one thing we learned from the appointment of Steve. Uh, secondly, I think he, he not only knew the league, he'd taken the team out of the league. He'd, he'd probably learned a few things along the way at uh, Newport, Gillingham, as Matt was saying, not always the most pleasant experiences. And, and, and we all... Bur never is. Okay, well. Um, we, all, we all learn by tough experiences. And I think he's learned that. But, you know, I, I've said many times, Venus... Seven o'clock. Oh. <laughs> keep, to, keep talking. Keep going. I've said many times, when I was a CEO, being a CEO the second time was so much easier than the first time. I think Justin's experience really is helping us. And I think he has a perspective that is unique and a knowledge. When I went up to that Halifax game, that we all had this quiz one night. Justin's knowledge of football is unbelievable. I mean, and, and, uh, and you probably never even think about that, but he knows so much about the game. I think we've got the perfect manager in the perfect spot at the right time, and I'm just delighted he's here. I'm not sure that answered the question, but anyway. Well, that's all we've got time for for episode uh, 100. We'll be back next week. Uh, if you want to catch more of your questions uh, with uh, the two T's, uh, Kent Teague and Nigel Travis, you'll hear it on the, uh, the catch-up. Uh, but until then, see you next week.
Okay, so we're uh, in Studio 2 catching uh, a few little extra questions uh, with, um, with Kent and Nigel. And, uh, well, I suppose we're going to start um, with a little bit of uh, a businessy uh, sort of questions. And um, attendance. Uh, after the Wrexham game, uh, the O's were top of the attendance table by a single fan. Uh, 5,015 the average this season, boosted by the Football for a Fiver initiatives. Um, is that about where you want to be at, at this stage, Kent, in terms of attendance? Do you, do you have figures where you want to be? Uh, not necessarily do we have figures uh, where we want to be. We do budget based on attendance numbers. We would love to have higher attendance number. The the more the better is the way we look at it. And uh, obviously um, away attendance has been the the big thing. Uh, it's I think it, it's shown in this division when Gateshead. I mean, the great Gateshead did great to have fifty one people come down yesterday, but. For the game like next week against Boreham Wood, we're, we're talking about Orient last season at Boreham Woods outnumbered the home fans. Yeah, I mean, we had, uh, and I only watched it on streaming, but at Braintree, didn't we have 1,500? Some m amazing number. Right. Well, when Justin talks about it, he says that sometimes when we're away, it feels like home. And that's because of the great support that our fans are providing us. The traveling fan, we really do appreciate the fact, all the effort that they make in order to get to those games. And so, yeah, sometimes, sometimes we're at home and it feels like home, and sometimes we're away and it feels like home. So that's, that's a testament to them, the and traveling it, supporter. And, you know, for the fans who never go to away games, I think it's worth saying the time it takes – it's phenomenal. I mean, when I went to Halifax, fine, I went up the day before. But coming back, the game finishes at, let's say, 5 o'clock. If you're home by 10 o'clock, you're lucky. I mean, it's a big time investment. It is a big commitment, absolutely. And to all those fans who haven't been to an away game, I can tell you that I have absolutely loved, and I know Nigel does too, we love the chance to go to the away game when we get that chance and when we do it. Just absolutely love it. It's it's a great day out. It's a great yeah, day uh, out. And, and I'm really excited about going to Dagenham and Dover. Yeah. And and I I know particularly we had the guys in from from home and away uh, last week, and they were talking amongst them about you know what time they got home from that Wrexham game, and they said, well, we could have got home the next day, and we wouldn't have cared after you've just beaten Wrexham two 0 It's I mean it's it's it it I think. I think you're right, and it's it, it's certainly part of what what we talk about and and what's been talked about before in terms of family club and that feeling that people will seem to know each other mm -hmm. and and especially on the away trips you've got you've got people when, when sometimes you look at the gallery of people you you pick out people that you recognise someone like Lottie who's on every yeah, yeah. is on every away trip superstar yeah exactly Lottie who's been made a superstar <laughs> by Dream Team you know she's she's absolutely everywhere right absolutely. Um, attendance was a bit off the last couple of games it's, it's, um, into the fours, but I mean, maybe we've been sport with, with the average this season. You are going to expect a little bit of a dip leading up to, to Christmas because there's so many other competing things, isn't there, Nigel? Yeah, I mean, certainly the football for a fiver, which will come back um, later in the season, um, has, has helped. So let me just talk about that. I mean, this is a way of getting more people to come to the club. Because as Kent said, we want bigger attendances. Uh, we want people to come in, try it, like it. Uh, I've seen letters where, and I'm sure there's more than the ones I've seen, I've seen Arsenal 
supporters who have season tickets at the Emirates bought season tickets at Leighton Orient. I mean, and because they like the experience, they want to be part of it. So that's what we're doing. It's really trialing to get people in because, you know, we need to get a bigger fan base. We hope to have a much bigger fan base over the years. Um, and we also want to attract young people. And, and I truly think we're creating a much better experience. And it hasn't been talked about a lot in recent weeks, but the catering, I think, is off the charts good now. Whereas That's probably why it's not being... Yeah, probably exactly, rather exactly. not being talked about. Let's, let's talk about the really good things. And those guys from British Event Catering, uh, when I was doing my book signing, I was talking to them all yesterday. I mean, they love what they're doing with us. We love what they're doing with us. But these are guys who really take the business seriously. I mean, all they want is to keep improving. And they they read all the forum comments. I mean, that says something about them. They they read them all. And if they hear any comments about pies or whatever, they take it seriously. And and that's what they should be doing. I mean, I work in that business, obviously. And that they take it seriously. So to come back to your question, yeah, I mean, Tuesday night actually was... Uh, you know, Tuesday nights are always tough, yeah. so that was Tuesday night. Yesterday was a pretty miserable day, and if you actually say that Gates said if you'd made their number 500, we would have been over 5,000, it wouldn't have been a debate. And then we've also got the problems with the East Stand that hopefully are all going to be fixed. Thank you to the Supporters Club and to Loft for the uh, donations. Um, so we want to get that number. I've certainly got a goal by the end of the season to have at least one or two games with over 8,000. Well, hopefully we do see that. And uh, I understand, uh, it was mentioned during the main show, the Salford game on the 5th of January. I hear that the 1881 suite is sold out, the director's lounge is sold out, the boardroom's out, sold out, and the club are having to do extra hospitality at the, at the coach and horses. So it shows, Which is also sold out. Which is also sold out. So it, I understand it, it, correctly it is, yeah. So it, 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 you're talking about 8,000 8, a game if it... it depending on whether we're talking the East End fixed by then, that, that is going to be um, an absolutely massive game. And, yep. and I, I, I thought back to it, you know, that over the last two, three years, if you told me that suddenly all the hospitality is going to be sold out and people are, you know, going to want to do corporate for a, for a game in the early stages of January at Leighton Orient, mm -hmm. you, it, we would have been thought impossible. Well, I just I think it's a testament to the level of enthusiasm about the club and 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 the level of love about the club that Nigel uh brings and uh Matt Porter and Marshall and you know the and and David. Uh I think the level of love that Martin Ling has for the club and how Justin cares so deeply already about the club. And I also think that it has a lot to do with Danny Macklin and his and his you know his his team, and also the players. You know the players are obviously playing with great enthusiasm, great passion, and they just don't quit uh, on behalf of the badge. So I think you know it's a culmination of all of these factors coming together that is generating this enthusiasm and 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 good feeling that's bringing lots of people together that are enjoying, you know, they're having a good time. And that's what it should be about. That's what the club is about. And I do think there is an, an added level of pride about the club uh, that, that's coming about. I, I notice uh, young people uh, mentioning it to their friends or when I go into a school, you know, people will say, hey, I'm a Leighton Orient supporter, and they're very proud to be that. So I think it's, it's just a culmination of things. 
And certainly, I think we can have attendances of 8,000. We've sold 8,000 tickets. We just haven't had that many show up. So we really look forward to the fact of when all those people that you know paid for a ticket do show up. It's going to be a great day. And obviously, that's had unintended consequences as well with the, the ticketing um, provider because the club have now, from Saturday, had to in, reintroduce um, booking fees for on, online booking. So tell us a little bit about, about that. Well, um, yeah, and, and I recognise that some people thought that was not right, but most things you book, uh, you have to pay a booking fee, and most people probably don't realise we actually pay more than the 50 pence that's been charged, quite a bit more than that, actually. So we're actually sort of sharing the cost with the fans. Um, I think I think there's some interesting issues coming out of the whole ticketing, the whole attendance issue, clearly, I mean, I don't think it's a secret. We had a big internal debate about what we should budget for season tickets this year. Kent and I were both optimistic. Like, outliers. <laughs> we were outliers, weren't we? We were optimistic. Yeah, and we went for 4,000. Accordingly. That, that was not what was budgeted because we were told it wasn't going to happen. But we, we beat it and we're well over 4,000 now. But one of the things that's kind of an interesting issue now is we'd like the season ticket holders to come more often. And one of the th- we've talked about this over dinner. One of the interesting things that people never talk about in business is they always talk about having more customers. The most important thing is frequency. I mean, frequency means how often that same customer comes. Correct. And we want to try and find a way that the season ticket holders, and to be honest, I haven't looked at the numbers. I don't know what the average percent attendance of season ticket holders is we want them to come more why do we want them to come more a it's more noise secondly the stadium looks fuller which is great for the fans sure but also it brings more money into the club and uh, and i think that's very important if we want to build this club make it a sustainable club as kent has said many times we need to get more money from all kinds of avenues be it the shop be it from catering from the drink um, for every game, and that's why we need as many people there as possible. Agreed. Um, one of the things that caused a few um, ructions on on Friday was the uh, was the noise. Uh, well, the news about the Legends Lounge and the, the potential trial that was going to be run there to restrict post match access. Um, a decision that was reversed after. Um, well, quite a bit of uproar, but there's been Agreed. uproar that people reversed it, and it, it was a contentious one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And. Well, it was a contentious one. What do you know? Well, what we, the... we 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 as a club tend to be involved in contentious decisions uh, over and over and over. Do we sign this player? Do we bring in this manager? Do we do we not restrict access to, uh, to certain areas of the club? Danny made a decision that uh, he thought was the right decision. He took on feedback. He reversed his decision. He will then take on more feedback. And he might make a new decision, or he may decide to stick with the one he currently has. Yes, I saw it on Twitter. Yes, of course, I read all about it. Yes, I I do understand it. But again, this is how we handle the process. We make a decision. We take on feedback. We may, in fact, change the decision or adjust the decision. And we may make a new decision, or we may make a new rule or a new way of doing it. And so for right now, we are where we are. We've got it kind of set up the way we have it set up. And we will make the necessary adjustments to make it to where most of the people enjoy being a part of the club most of the time. 
But you notice I did not say that all of the people would enjoy being a part of the club all the time. Most of the people will enjoy being part of the club most of the time. That's just how the world works. Uh, now, the fan zone's also been introduced, and Nigel, you mentioned there you, you signed your book there yesterday. Um, what was the thinking b- behind the fan zone? Was it because at least I can't remember which of you two guys have mentioned tailgate parties and, and that sort of thing in the lead up to American football game. Was that part of the, the, the thinking maybe behind fan zones? Well, it certainly wasn't an idea driven by Kent and I. It was Danny and his team's idea. Right. Um, I think he saw that we had the score area. We could get hold of it for a period. He thought it was another place for people to hang out. Uh, if anyone's sitting there thinking about it, it was, was not intended to be competitive at all to the supporters club but to uh, offer an alternative and having spent a considerable amount of time over there yesterday um, we had a singer who I thought was actually very good Um, so you don't get that in the supporters club and perhaps some people don't want it so it's an alternative and I think what we're trying to do is a couple of things one if 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 I was if I'm totally brutally honest which I always try and be the biggest problem with football in this country is that the fans don't get to the game early enough compared with American sports. So you need to find a way of attracting them. And there's all kinds of ideas for doing that. I mean, do we have bigger screens so they can... And, and I'm not saying we're doing any of these, but do we have bigger screens around the stadium so that people can watch the game on TV and come early? The best thing we've done is improving the food and, and, and giving it some variety. The fan zone, people seem to go over there and hang out. Uh, and I think there was a lot more, apparently, the previous game because it was football for a fiver. But we will continue to try things because we want people to come there. We want the people to stay there. Uh, I mean, a personal beef I've got, and I'll say it publicly, is the shop should not close at 5.30. It should be later than that because several times I've wanted to go in after 5.30 and it's closed, so... You know, Danny's had that feedback. Um, so we will continue to find ways to make sure it's a, a great experience for as long as as long as they can possibly come. I think another thing that needs to be said about the fan zone too is is that we are attracting a different. Uh, we are starting to attract a different type of fan than maybe is the traditional Leighton Orient Football Club fan. They are coming from a little bit different area of the city. Uh, than they have come from in the past. And that group of fans is asking for more options uh, to have time to spend together before and after a match. Thus the pressure on the 1881 and need of a fan zone and coaches and horses and things like that. We are in some ways just responding to uh, the desires that we're the 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 feedback that we're getting from fans saying, give us more ways, give us more options of getting together maybe a little bit earlier and a little bit in, in a different way, and so that's what we're responding to, and it's working out well. Um, now we mentioned the the east stand, and uh, Colin Williams has been in touch via email. Um, are the repairs that are being carried out, and and we saw the the generous donations by the supporters club and, and loft. Is it a temporary fix or is it – so it's not a patch-up, it's a complete? It's, it's complete. Middle of January is probably the best time when it will be completely done. Um, but we are asking council if it is possible for us to fix it section by section and bring a section online 
as opposed to just waiting until the very end. So we would try to bring certain sections on as quickly as possible. So in, in terms of the problem, is it mainly a cosmetic problem with, with the stand, or is there an actual structural problem? No, I mean, I, I, I would say it's, it was structural because the stand's old, uh, it gets checked regularly. Uh, there was issues both with the wood and the support, and both have been addressed. So I think the solution is a good one. Uh, and I want to say again, because I think it's important, we appreciate the generous donation from both the Supporters Club and Loft. And, uh, you know, we, we hope we fix the problem because I hate seeing that gap right in the middle. And it's, it's obviously made it difficult for a lot of our season ticket holders who've had to be moved. Does the 30 grand cover the lot or is there additional money that the club has, has chipped in as uh, well? I think, you know, as far as I know, and who knows, when you do any construction, you can often have overcharges, but I think it's designed to cover the lot. Yeah. Alsbury um, Owes has asked on the forums, um, please ask Kent why uh, the sports club and loft are paying for the East End repairs. Uh, when, and you may deny that you said this, uh, he mentioned that it was the responsibility of Barry Hearn that we would be working with him. I didn't say that it was the responsibility of Barry Hearn. I say it may be the responsibility of Barry Hearn. That's okay, though. Um, why is it appropriate that the supporters club pays for the handrails in the West Stand? Why is it appropriate that they pay for the turf machine? Why is it appropriate that they paid for the covers uh, last year? Why is it appropriate uh, that they paid for the upgrade to the uh, to the to the uh, dressing room? Why is it appropriate that they paid for that, and now suddenly it's inappropriate that they pay for repairs to the east stand? I am completely unclear on why certain things are appropriate and proper and certain things are not appropriate and proper when it is things that the club needs or wants and things that the supporters club and loft are willing to pay for and have the ability to pay for. Mm. And there have been numerous conversations over the history of this club, as best I can tell. I haven't been a part of the history where there may have been players that may have been possibly wanted that might have been paid for by supporters clubs. And so when you look at in generic, the supporters clubs of the UK, you know, there have been all kinds of things that have been paid for. Our supporters club paid for grass one year, grass seed. I mean, so I, so it's not about whether it's appropriate or inappropriate in my mind, the club has needs, the supporters club, the supporters club and loft, say they have the funds and they want to contribute the funds and we say okay if they had not paid for the east stand repairs we as a club would have paid for the east stand repairs and they would have paid for something else that's all that that's all that works out to be neat the club has needs and the club is spending a great deal of money on various things and sometimes the supporters club and loft pick things that they have a great interest in and they want to help with and that's what they did i think probably where some of the questioning comes from and particularly this this question is obviously if you've got um a lease for a flat for example and you talk about something structural and, and that becomes the landlord's responsibility and you've got response mm -hmm. i think some of the questions comes in well the match room 
well, it's not even Barry Hearn, as, as I understand, it's the Matchroom Pension Fund that owns the stadium. Right. Something's so, gone. Something's been damaged with the stadium. Why are someone else having to pay for that rather than the owners of the stadium? Okay. I, I assume it's much more complicated than that within the lease. No, I think it's straightforward. The, the, the lease is clear. There was something we had to do. We had not only our lawyers do it, but my wife happens to be a lawyer. I said, okay, I want an independent view. Tell me what you say. She told me. Right, she did. And... She's very helpful in that way, too, in, in reviewing things. No, she may us. be a U.S. lawyer, but it still reads English. It's, there's still law. Yeah. So, so it, you know, it was our responsibility. And, you know, I know why some of the questions have come up. And I'll state again, not only did I go to school with Barry, I was a supporter through his whole tenure. Barry Hearn did spectacular things for Leighton Orient. I'm very happy he was the owner and you know i'm honored that he chose to take our um the opportunity we afforded him to be our president and he's been an excellent president and every time we've ever asked him for anything since he owned including making donations to the club barry has been very generous and, and supportive and now um colin williams goes on to ask about the stadium he said um it would be a great shame to to lose the east end the only part of the ground remaining from his childhood days in the 60s but bearing in mind it's seen better days and the, and the age of the stadium had all discussed a redevelopment of that stand we as a club look at lots of different schemes that are possible or probable or improbable or impossible for the east stand because we know that there is a need for that stand to be upgraded over time. There's, there is a certain amount of life in all of us, in all of the structures that we enjoy. And that, you know, that stand at some point will have to be redeveloped. Whether it happens under our watch or in 20 years, I don't know the answer to that, but at some point it will need to be redeveloped. But we will continue to look at different options and different opportunities to figure out what is the best thing to do on behalf of Leighton Orient Football Club. Uh, there was a question that also came in uh, on the forums. Um, are the owners looking at sites to relocate the club to? Because well, that's always a worry. What, does that, you mean? Get... what site? What does that mean? It means are we going to move to uh, out to Harlow or somewhere like that? And the answer is... You mean move the stadium? Yeah. No. no. I said last year, and I think it was the joint no. program with you on the podcast... That categorically, we're staying where we are. We're very happy there. Uh, I want everyone to help us get a high-class problem, well, which is we're playing in a higher league, and we've got more people coming than we can cope with. Okay, I just want to ask this. I did, sorry. I'm going to take over your job just yeah, for a second. Right, you ready? Watch. You. I'm going to do it with Nigel. Nigel, have you approached anyone about moving the stadium? No, because have, I said I wouldn't do it. I know, but have you been approached by anyone no. to move the stadium? I have not been approached to move the stadium, and I have never approached anyone about moving the stadium. So I don't think we're moving and, the stadium. Well, let me play it back. <laughs> do you think it's a good idea to move it? No, I think it's a terrible idea. And I think the same. I think we lose a tremendous amount of identity by moving the stadium to another borough or another city. Yeah. Now – the other thing, too, is, is I don't believe that we need a lot bigger stadium or more capacity or anything where we're at today. It, it, no, 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 I don't think so. Okay, yeah, so, <laughs> so I think the only thing I would differ from that is the question we should ask ourselves is if we get to that promised land of we can't cope with all the people, what do we do? Okay. And I think the first question you have to say is, 
Is there any way we can find a way of increasing the capacity where we are? Well, but, but that's, that's, that's also where we have this conversation about, you know, do we need to limit the number of season tickets that we currently have given the current capacity that we have? Of course we want to try to figure out ways to increase the capacity, and there are a couple of ways to do it. One, we can redevelop the west stand, and that gives you a different way to do it, the east stand redevelopment. North and south is a little tough to add capacity onto, but, you know, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're always we, – listen, we want the club – to grow, to be better. That's what we want. We want the club to be better, and we want for it to grow. How do we do that? How fast do we grow? That's a different question. But certainly we want the club to be better, and we do want it to grow. But we don't want it to grow unnecessarily, and we don't want the club to be unnecessarily large. I would prefer the feel of the club that we have today that will cause growth, but I prefer the feel of the club today over the feel of other clubs that I may have visited in uh, at other times. Um, there's also a question about, obviously, off the back of that and attendance, will the club be announcing any new ticket initiatives next season to drive attendances and income in addition to the uh, popular football for a fiver there's one more football to a for a fiver to come but yeah. it's, it's, it's worked very very well hasn't it yeah i mean uh we anticipated the question i can't remember all the things danny told me but uh, <laughs> uh I, I know that we're looking at introducing i think it's uh three tickets for 30 don't quote me on that that may be the wrong number yeah uh something like that um danny's always looking at programs because you know you know we live in a society where we're still losing money we want to move to being a sustainable club. The whole time, we look at how to raise revenue. You raise revenue several ways. You get more fans in the ground. When they're there, you get them to spend more. And the third thing, which, as I said earlier, everyone always forgets, is how can I get the same fan to come more often? If you're a season ticket holder who only comes 15 times a year, how can I get you to come 16 times a year? And that's, you know, we, have, we actually have this weekly score sheet now that we look at and analyze in great detail, that is all part of moving to that sustainability. Now, another question that's been asked, um, obviously the, um, the kit worked very well, the, fourth, um, the commemorative fourth kit. We, we, everyone absolutely loved the commemorative fourth kit. Um, of course, then the question asked is when you're going to do it again. But the other question that's coming in is about manufacturers. Um, for next season because Correct. as some people understand it the, the deal with Nike is coming to an end okay. at the end of this year okay. will, will we know soon f for I sure don't, I, I don't know when Danny's going to announce it do you know when well all, all I would say is we've gone through an exhaustive process I think we're getting pretty close uh, but A I've seen no announcement written um, but it, I think the announcement is getting closer every day yeah when you say written you mean drafted yeah yeah we haven't, we haven't seen a draft of the announcement. Now, closer every day. It's the question that comes out every so often. You know, you know what <laughs> word I'm going to say. I'm going to say academy. Correct. Everyone wants to know about the academy. Are we going to hear something soon just to stop some of the rumours? Late Orient Football Club will always have an academy slash player development program. Always. It is a requirement of being a great football club, and we are going to have a great football club. What form or how that takes, how that reveals itself or how it, how it comes, 
We don't know the answer to yet. We are still having a conversation about that. Martin Ling will present to us some things on Monday. That's tomorrow. Uh, and we will have some more conversations about it. We will have a player development program. Exactly what form that takes, I don't know. What everyone must do, and we must do better as a club, is we need to educate people on what EPPP is and what it means and how it's changed and is going to change. We need to talk about safeguarding children and how that's changed and how that's going to continue to change and the costs associated with that. We need to talk about player development, how that's changed, how that will continue to change over the, you know, the next 10 years. We're making a decision because of a, because of a situation we find ourselves in, but we're trying to make a decision over that's going to be applied the next five or 10 years by the club. I, we do not know the answer to what we're going to do yet. As soon as we do, we will make an announcement about it, but we don't know yet. We still just don't know. There are options. None of them are good. None of them are necessarily bad. They're just options. And so we're figuring it out. What I can guarantee is the future will not be the same as the past because our future as Leighton Orient Football Club is not the same as it was in the past in this particular regard. That's true of the United Kingdom at large, not just us. So obviously the rumor mill has gone round and round and round. And you, you, and you know, from the last time that you were in this studio and I asked you the question, yep. has actually anything changed that would have made the rumor mill strike up or is the rumor mill just running off of its own perpetual energy the rumor mill seems to have an an energy source that we are unable to identify i i mean we just i don't i no nothing nothing has changed i think what i would say i think it's frustrating for fans and this is something you'll have to put up they'll have to put up with because of the way we are we go through processes to make decisions uh a lot of clubs i think make decisions in a very different way, which tends to be, in my mind, okay, we're going to make a decision, this is the decision. We actually do it the way we've been trained to. We write papers, we look at the options, we consider the options, we discuss it. Martin talks to us, we give him feedback. It's a longer process, but we believe we make the decision, all the decisions the right way by going through the kind of process that Kent and I grew up using. and. I recognize for fans that doesn't always give them the spontaneous answer. Well, they, they, they want to know now what the future is going to be. And unfortunately, I am more than willing for all of our fans to come up to me and guarantee that we are going to get promoted this year, next year, the year after, and the year after. I am perfectly willing for them to do that. But I'm not going to believe them if they give me that guarantee. Because none of us can absolutely perfectly predict the future. So we are making choices on a future that is a little bit uncertain and a little bit unknown. But we do know that there are trends in academies. There are trends in player development. There are trends in football. There are trends in, like I said, safeguarding and all of that that need to be looked at and thought about. And then we need to put ourselves in as good a position as possible to be a great club 
10 years from now. Um, and that's what we've got to do. Well, as I'm sure you'll know, that's going to start the rumor mill off again. And, people will analyze that any go, which way go, they, anyway, which I like. Get so, after it. <laughs> yeah, we, I, will, I will await your comments for the next time that Kent and Nigel are in. Um, thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us on episode 100 of the Orient Hour. Congratulations on episode 100, by the way. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> and it's just time to thank my guests for tonight. Nigel Travis, Kent Teague, Matt Roper, Dave Knight and Jamie Stripe. To Andy Gilson, Paul Golder, Steve Roach and Elliot Byrne for making it possible. We did it, guys. To all you out there listening as well, big thank you to you wherever you may be. Here's to another 100 episodes of the Orient Hour. And we'll be back next week in Room 101 with Andy Gilson.